Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and Streaming Life at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, presented to you by the Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that has been around and dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're going to talk about the fragmented and uncoordinated way in which we organize ourselves as a society and what we can start to do and think about it. Mm, Yes, the idea of triple bottom line accounting is fairly well known. This is when accounting doesn't just consider financial outcomes. It looks at social and environmental outcomes as well. Several other bottom lines have been added to this, including culture and well-being, which are, I suppose, also social. So that isn't a bad place to start when looking at the silos within which government departments in Australia and other countries, I guess, operate. Let's look at the current coalition, federal government, or coalition. As we all know, the cabinet includes ministers with oversight over specific portfolios or departments. Yeah, interestingly, being a minister of a certain portfolio doesn't really mean that he or she needs to know anything about the subject matter of that portfolio. And by the way, the cabinet system isn't required by our constitution. It is an administrative device which sets up our governing in the top-down, command-and-control and and labour-divided managerial mode. Sorry for that long string of things, (laughs) a mode which you have already previously critiqued a lot. Yes, focusing on the financial or economic domain, or silo, we have Josh Josh Frydenberg, who is the treasurer is the Treasurer and Matthias Corman, who is the Minister for Finance. Presiding over the Environment, we have Susan Lay and David Littleproud is the Minister for Water Resources and Drought, amongst other things, such as natural disasters. And we'd say that he can be only a little proud about the way in which that portfolio is run as well. So actually, he also presides over rural finance, which crosses into the economic domain, which is interesting. In the area of social well-being, Anne Rustin is Minister for Families and Social Services, and Richard Colbeck is Minister for Aged Care and Senior Australians. So that's quite a lot of portfolios and quite a lot of names. There are quite a few silos um, Mm. Whoops, I mean ministerial portfolios, chart. And we should obviously not forget foreign affairs and home affairs, the latter held by the probably most inscrutable of them all, Peter Dutton. And of course, there are numerous other portfolios doing their siloed and other things that are obviously interrelated, but very often not connected. It's quite interesting that for a while, for a long while, we actually talked about whole of government, So there is awareness that it is not quite right to run a government in those kinds of silos. Mm. So uh, the problem we want to discuss, therefore, is when siloed siloed economic, environmental, social goals, when they are not thought of 
historic, uh, holistically, certainly also not historically, <laughs> uh, then w- what happens to well-being, which is so much influenced by a whole variety of those silos and other matters of that nature, particularly also when they are and have to be at cross-purposes. Yes. Well, for example, last December, the Morrison government, or actually Prime Minister Scott Morrison, urged people to get out and shop in the final days before Christmas for the good of the economy and the nation. Apart from the fact that this must have felt to many, many Christians as a bit, as mobilising one of the holiest events and remembrances <laughs> of the religious year for rather ulterior purposes. This was in the context of sluggish household consumption figures said to be weighing down Australia's economic growth over the previous year. So let's use baby Jesus as a motive to stimulate the lagging economy. It does sound strange and a little bit like a split personality for a fundamentalist Christian, doesn't it? Well, he's also from marketing background, remember, That's John? correct, that's correct. You can, but you can really imagine the pre-Christmas conversations in the Morrison household, couldn't you? Well... As I say, ScoMo does come from a marketing background. Um, More recently, the Morrison government attempted to stimulate the economy through tax refunds, as we know, that people are meant to go out and spend. This doesn't seem to be eventuating very well, but that's another story for another day. The point is here is that people are again being expected and urged to spend and consume for the common good, supposedly. And therefore... Again, in terminologies which derive from the neoliberal economy textbooks, we need to increase demand so that supply can be brought up a bit and production can rise and so on and so on. The the logically assumed or illogically assumed economic cycle. Indeed, the choices government makes are all predicated on which theory and which ideology they adhere to to get most stimulation out of the measures proposed, without, of course, having to address some of the other holy cows and elephants in the room, which are part of the present neoliberal afflictions. So, for example, no increase in Newstart, as the Welfare Minister Rustin recently declared on Wednesday, it was actually, because just constantly spending, she said, more money and not getting any better result is not the right thing for us to be doing. We need to make sure that we investigate every possible way that we can start getting a better result for getting Mm. people back to work. So there. Yeah, so obviously ensuring that people actually have enough to eat and a roof over their head, that's not a worthy result for the political elite in Canberra. The Minister is indeed focusing her attention on creating job opportunities, which sounds right, while helping welfare recipients with substance abuse or social isolation issues, as she has declared a few days earlier in an interview. And anything which would sound too much like redistribution from the top, as we have been saying a lot of times, that, of course, <laughs> is verboten. It is socialism. Mm. <laughs> Do I scream at that point, Jacques? You probably don't. (laughs) Hence, the tax cuts which disproportionately benefit the already wealthy will shifting the overall tax burden even more to middle and lower income people. And we've talked a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, 
it's the concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer people at the top that serves to reduce real productivity and jobs, even within classical economic frameworks. Exactly. And don't get us started yet again on alternatives to growth of GDP and so on, because we have talked about that a lot of times. Uh, and certainly also a few weeks ago we were talking about uh, degrowth. All this stimulation, which is needed, presumably, is obviously to have growth figures increase. So that means the figures of growth need to increase. So not just keep them stable and certainly not let them decrease, as we have argued when we talked about the degrowth. So somehow welfare, well-being, the economy, public health, they're all dealt with in a sort of, in separation from one another, but then often rhetorically they are being brought together in their big speeches. And on that note, let's go and listen to Dr. G. Yonepingo uh, with his Guperu song. Gardening is back. Hosted by Gardening Australia's Costa Georgiatis, celebrating sustainability and all things green for one day only. Featuring free workshops and demonstrations, hands-on kids' activities and over 35 market stalls to get you in the garden and thinking about sustainable living this October. Spring into gardening. Sunday, October 13 at Victoria Gardens, Paran. See the City of Stonington website for details. A 3CR supporter. 
You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the way those in government try to organise our lives in compartments or departments, while ignoring the ways that their efforts are contradictory and ultimately self-defeating. We just talked about Prime Minister Scott Morrison's exhortations to go out and spend for the good of the economy and the nation. Meanwhile, on the environmental front, growing consumption in general is emerging as an environmental catastrophe, and it has been for some time for those who wanted to take notice. As we know, our growing consumption is responsible for the unsustainable burning of fossil fuels and the vast accumulation of toxic rubbish and plastics on land and in our oceans. While a lot of media attention has been given to the recycling crisis in Victoria, especially after China refused to continue being a dumping ground for our unsorted and contaminated rubbish, we hear little about reducing our consumption, uh, rather to the contrary, as we showed earlier. Yes, Jacques, but don't hold your breath waiting for Prime Minister Scott Morrison or even Susan Lay, Minister for the Environment, to tell us to stop our rampant consumerism for the sake of the environment. Yeah, another aspect we rarely talk about when we consider economics and all of that. At the same time, two billion people in the world, in the world's poorest countries, are living and working among piles of waste. As the amount of single-use plastic is growing, the capacity to collect and manage the waste is not growing. Mm. The effect on both people and the environment is devastating, and all because of the fact that we, for example, buy presents and consumption goods which are packed packaged strongly and so on. So the, ma- the waste mountains are growing, and people are drinking polluted water, breathing toxic, and, uh, toxic air, and battling sickness. One million people die every year due to the mismanagement of waste and pollutants. Is that true? One person every 30 30 seconds. seconds. (coughs) Obviously, this realisation should holistically link foreign aid, foreign affairs, world poverty and waste together. But apparently we'd rather silo them. Somehow we think they're more manageable Mm. if we silo them. That's right, and have control over over the part of it, but they're not connected part with the whole again. See, that's another side of the assumed and loudly professed need for growth and for the continuation of mining and burning. That's another silo, uh, another minister caravan on a caravan, (laughs) (laughs) uh, enthusiastically underlined a few days ago when the figures about the contribution of mining export to our GDP growth were published. Uh, and he, of course, said that that was what the Greens and all of those climate protesters would want to take away from us. Mm-hmm. He thundered. In contrast, a cursory look at the hundreds of posters, handwritten slogans, and other signs carried by the more than 300,000 and across Australia 300,000 climate strikers two Fridays ago, and which was replicated across the world into the millions, shows clearly how much Mr. Carnivan is off the mark from the point of view of so many. Yeah, well, apparently 70% of Australians Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. that Mr. Morrison also should have gone to the climate meeting of the United Nations Mm -hmm. while in New Mm -hmm. York, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than sustain the pretense witnessed by all of us that Australia is doing a lot 
to address our environmental crisis, blaming the press and everyone else's efforts for this not being recognised. And how embarrassing was that, as well as shameful mm. and, and unrepresentative of us. And apparently, from today's paper, he's also blaming the United Nations. How? Well, in a recent foreign policy speech, he argued we shouldn't have to cooperate with the United Nations on climate change. He said national interests should trump such global efforts. We should look after our country first. According to the mandate of constituents, the voters, I guess, he obviously didn't hear about that 300,000 Australians who joined the climate strike or the 70% of Australians who thought he should have attended the United Nations climate meeting in New York. So much for listening to your constituents. That's right, and probably we shouldn't blame or think that the fact that he has been listening to Trump recently for all of that, because he came with his own convictions around these matters. And then there's, of course, also the question of human happiness and well-being, which we have often obliquely and directly referred to in some of our previous programs. Is all that consumption, you have to ask the question, making us feel better or better off or happier? In a survey by Swinburne University and the Australian Psychological Society, when asked how lonely people felt, more than 50% of Australians reported that they felt lonely for at least a day in the previous week to the the question being asked. And 28% felt lonely for three or more days. Half of Australians. Well, that's an incredible... Hmm. That's an incredible result. Mm -hmm. It is. Half Australians feeling lonely for at least a day in the previous week and 28% felt lonely for three or more days. (laughs) And whilst there is virtue to, to, you know, solitude, being on your own from time to time, that's not loneliness, Mm. exactly. And we know from solid research that the enormous economic growth since the Second World War has effectively failed to make people any happier, and that's from... Very wide-scale surveys yep, yep. that have been conducted for quite a while now. This fact is known as, it even has a name, the Easterland Paradox. So people have been um, living within mm-hmm. countries of high economic growth, but they're not getting happier. Mm-hmm. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the hopeless way that governments try to organise everything in silos, departments, compartments, with no regard really for the fundamental contradictions that make each of those so self-defeating. Yes, we've known there's a contradiction between 
sorry, we've known there's a contradiction between consumeristic goals and goals of happiness and well-being for a while now. Christian Cole wrote about this in The Guardian a few years ago. He said that decision makers are realising that ever more consumption and GDP growth or gross domestic product growth are not the key to happiness. So he's saying our decision makers know about it, but we don't see much evidence of that understanding in Australia at all. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it seems a taboo item for many commentators as well. Even looking at Australia's waste policy, as we did just bef- talked about just before, there is a lot of tinkering around the edges. The white elephant, and I call it the white, white elephant, elephant, because the, the white elephant in the room is white because of the fact that we have this monument of more consumption standing there, mm. which we're supposed to, to admire. So the white elephant in the room, the need to reduce consumption is not really mentioned. I wonder how we could get our federal leaders in the same room to really look at our challenges and address them holistically and coherently. Yes, and Jacques, can we afford to wait for this to happen? I I would say no. The next issue of the New Community, for example, is the journal, which Borderlands helps publish four times a year. The next issue is about food security, and it is another illustration of the overlapping nature of the problems we face, in this case, including agriculture, transport, pollution, toxicity, famines, food waste, land use, and the exploitation of landless populations everywhere. So it is quite an interesting thing. Uh, One third of food in Australia at the same time is being wasted. Mm -hmm. And some areas, in some areas that is even more, Mm -hmm. particularly cities, by the way. And and meanwhile, of course, consumerism is having a bad effect on our physical health, as well as our souls, Mm -hmm. I would argue. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and which is backed up by those surveys. Recent figures indicate that close to half of Australian kids are overweight or obese. Mm-hmm. Over half. Yeah, and a- adults, especially males, even worse. A book by Raj Patel, which is titled beautifully, actually, Stuffed and Starved, Markets, Power and the Hidden Battle for the World Food System, mm. appears about 10 years ago, illustrates the problem of being overfed in one half of the world and chronically hungry or malnourished in the other half. Whilst indeed local initiatives like local food growing, community gardens and permaculture, they are indeed happening and spreading and they do make a difference, but it only partly assists us in making us more aware of the structural issues as expressed by a variety of programs and names. For example, just recently, the Western Australia declared a food crisis because they didn't have food enough to give poor people. It uh, appeared in the pro bono newsletter. And at the same time, you get an organization called Via Campesina, which has 200 million uh, members worldwide who are actually referring to their struggle as food sovereignty, which means that they not just look at a little garden in the backyard or something like that, but particularly also look at the unequal and unjust ways in which the world system is organized, like WTO, uh, FAO, all of those global kind of organizations who actually maintain the power of the agribusiness, Mm. uh, which is, in a way, major large farmers in the developed world which keep controlling the food distribution and production. 
uh, that needs to, there's so much more to think mm-hmm. about than just our own backyard. Yeah, and that sounds like the subject matter of a program all on its own. Mm, that's correct. We should be, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so getting back to the environment um, as an initiative of government, we agree with the 300,000 people who protested around Australia last uh, a couple of Fridays ago, of course, and all the others who supported the protest, that we're in a climate emergency. Emergency is the right way to describe the situation. In fact, human-generated climate change is well underway. And given the lag between our actions, what we're doing today and how we're living today, and the environmental consequences, we're at a point of only choosing the level of catastrophe, which is not an exaggeration. This has implications for the health and well-being of people, animals and the environment, of course. And interestingly, it also has implications for the economy, as the natural world obviously forms part uh, and is the basis of the economy. And that's Mm. interesting Mm. that we call it an emergency and that people who start to act and be activists around this now are being addressed by uh, our Minister Dutton, who said that they basically should be jailed and basically also that their welfare entitlement should be taken away. And he said also that it would be good to photograph them and uh, (laughs) spread the pictures of them to family and everywhere so that we can actually attack them. It's just outrageous. And I can hardly even respond to it that one of our ministers would even... Say this and, and, and say it publicly on, on, on the 2GB or whatever the radio mm. station is. Okay. And they are out of step with the population. Absolutely, they are. So instead of um, following initiatives to prevent catastrophic climate change, we're exhorted to consume as a patriotic duty to serve our Lord the economy in the pursuit of continual growth, which we know is an impossibility as an economy cannot grow infinitely, as we've discussed before. Constant consumerism and pursuit of continual economic growth is, is devastating our environment. We're exhorted to buy and consume, even though we know it does not make us feel happy or fulfilled either. The evidence is that people are feeling more miserable than ever in our segmented materialistic society, according to the surveys. Constant consumerism is also apparently making us fat, and unhealthy in lots of other ways, and to it, put it bluntly. Just to end a little bit also on a, on a more positive note, there is lots of movements and strategies which are seeking to address the environment, community, economy, and hold those together and holistic. So prioritizing the well-being of people, animals, and the natural world, and processes which are recognizing all of those as ends in themselves, and not just... You, f- for the ut- f- from the point of view of utility for the economy and f- profit by the fewer and fewer. For example, there is a n- the new economy network, Australia, peer-to-peer, which is a global kind of a movement, local futures, other relocalization movements, there's cooperatives, the simplicity and degrowth movements, of which Borderlands is a partner, and they're all involved in attempting to bring awareness to this, as well as start practically changing it at Footscray. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.